Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel and a very special guest for this episode. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, would like to thank everyone for their support so far this basketball season for the watch parties at the Holy Grail. The crowds have been amazing, so amazing that we might have a new sponsor to work on something a little different for football season. And, and baseball season. Got a little something coming up for baseball season. St. Patrick's Day, keep open. Because you know the Bearcats play Xavier on St. Patrick's Day. And we might have an opportunity for you to come hang out, enjoy your St. Patrick's Day, and then go watch the Crosstown Shootout baseball version that evening as well but again holy grail thanks to everybody for coming out it has been awesome the response that we've gotten this season kelly has a new favorite she lives and dies now by the wonton reuben every time we go wonton reuben for kelly i mix it up i go wings i go pizza i gotta try the pot roast sandwich i'm a big pot roast sandwich guy haven't tried that yet gotta try the pot roast sandwich the beers are excellent always cold it's always a good time, and you can find us there next Sunday, 1 o'clock, as the Bearcats take on Houston. Hopefully, that will be a game of great significance in this season. But let's get down to business. Everything was running, uh, I don't want to say well, but the basketball team was surviving for the most part, keeping their head above water as they treaded towards the NCAA tournament. And then, disaster strikes. Wednesday night at Fifth Third Arena. Central Florida comes in and takes down the Bearcats in double overtime. It is the classic case, and I've seen it. A million people have used this this analogy, this metaphor. I've been on a metaphor kick, so you might get a lot of those today. But the Bearcats played with fire. Their fourth straight overtime game. And this time they were burned. And burned significantly. Although, we'll get into it. Let's welcome in someone everybody loves. None other than my main man, Justin Berg. Justin, welcome back to the Holy Grail BCJ podcast. A lot has changed on this show since you were last year. Well, yeah, now it's called the Holy Grail podcast so that's one thing (laughs) yeah congratulations on that and i have not been able to make it down it seems like every one of those road games there's some sort of reason i need to watch the baby so just haven't been able to get down there but hopefully for either the houston or the usf game she's old enough bring her along yeah i guess that's true especially like a sunday day game that's usually a pretty family friendly atmosphere you know like a a weeknight at seven maybe not but like a, a sunday at one Kelsey's usually there. There's kids running around. Yeah, she that's be, a, she would be more than welcome. The only problem with her though is she's at that age now where she she just squirms out of your. You can't hold her. She just <laughs> wants to run around. So I would just be chasing her around. I'm trying to watch the game. It would probably be some frustrating stuff going on in the game. And she's running around to, and then I I, I wouldn't be able to really sit in and dive well, into the game there. We we do generally always have a trump card there, and that is uh, my wife Kelly is a mama bear. So if there are children around. Kelly is, uh, her natural instincts are to take care of them. 
Okay. So we might be able to save you some time there. We'll see. All right. <laughs> I, I do also want to apologize. This was uh, supposed to be done last night. Uh, that was the plan, but uh, I've got a daughter with a viral infection who was home from school all day with the fever, and then the wife came home. She had a viral infection. We spent five hours in the emergency room. Uh, nothing major, but just enough to derail the thread and uh, just enough to make me come home from the ER last night and have a nice glass of four roses to calm me down from a rather stressful day. <laughs> uh, but well, here we are. Yeah, Berg. Glad she's okay, though. Yeah, she's good. Okay. Berg. They've, they've read my thoughts in Brendel's Bites. I've got some other things to say. But I'm going to let you have the floor to so eloquently uh, discuss what you saw on Wednesday night here for the always engaged Bearcat Journal membership. <laughs> I saw a mentally and physically deceased team. Not drained, just dead. Like you I know, it, By the way, I said it. Probably five minutes into the game on Twitter. This team looks flat out gassed right now. Yeah, and and I think if you look back at the last three weeks, it's pretty explain. It's easy to explain why. And to use another metaphor or an analogy, think about when it's cold and you're trying to start your car and the battery isn't quite. It's not quite turning over, but you can jump it. You can get the jumper cables and get it on. Now, so Coach Brandon was able to jumpstart this team against ECU, against Memphis. They, they were really gassed in the Memphis game after that road trip. And they were able to get the car rolling and get back on the road and find a way to their destination. Well, you know, last night's or Wednesday night's game was you turn, you put the key in and turn it and nothing happens. There's not even trying to click over. There's just nothing. You hook up the jumper cables, nothing. Because you could see it right away. They were getting beat off the dribble left and right and it happened the whole night. But they just... They were just like, oh, my God, can we just have an easy game and just get this over with? And, and Central Florida was like, nah, we're here. We're here to do this. And I think if you just think back over the last few, you know, four to six games, it just all – it's like the chickens came home to the roost. Like the bench wasn't reliable enough to play heavy minutes, and it really hasn't been most of the season, especially in the ECU game. They were terrible, and it's one of the reasons why UC was in the precarious situation they were in. And so – I mean, he's been playing these, you know, five starters plus Javen Cumberland a ton of minutes. And if you, starting with the Houston game, then the Wichita game, then the UConn game, then the Memphis game, and you get to the East Carolina game, there's barely anything in the tank. I don't know how. I mean, they really should have lost that game. Let's 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 be honest. I mean, they they, they should have lost that game. They found a way, but this one, it seemed like it was they were kind of in that same mode where it was like, well, all right, we'll go on a run and. We'll figure it out. And um, it, it just never happened. And so you can just see, just look at s certain things like Keith Williams gets a pass on the, on the left side, wide open dunk. He barely gets the ball over the rim. You know, Trayvon missed that dunk late in the game. He was wide open. He went up like he was going to crush it. And his legs were like, nah, man, nothing in here. And he just got stuffed by the rim. And, um, you know, Jaron Cumberland, I think, is the guy who's been, you know, he, a lot of people have been talking about him and, and, Obviously, he's the star player and everything, and his shooting percentages the last four games, you know, you documented that. And it just seems like he doesn't have anything in the tank either. It's like, hey, we need you to be point guard. We need you to score 25. You know, we need you to play defense, rebound, do all the stuff. And all those games close together, and as much energy that needed to go into those games, emotion, um, there was overtimes. It was just like everything all 
just came crashing down the other night. And unfortunately, it could have been a fatal loss as far as their at-large chances. It probably was. Well, it's interesting you say that, though, Berg, because as we've gotten, you know, a day and a half, almost two days removed from the game, it really doesn't seem to have impacted the bracket projections. And that's that's the really interesting thing. That's the really interesting thing to me, Berg, is, is once we get to this point in the season, there's not a lot that really changes your resume. I mean, even even adding a, a quad three loss at home did not drop Cincinnati like a rock, like everybody expected it would on Wednesday night. You wake up on Thursday, and most places still have them either very much in the – you know, right on that last four in or first four buys – first four out but they're still right there on the cusp one way or the other this game did not drop them like a rock like everybody thought it was going to yeah I understand that and you know how I feel about these bracket projections I I, I mean I get it I see what they're looking at certain numbers and things but I just think about the human side of this you look at just imagine the people in the room that are on the selection committee and they're like okay Cincinnati whoa four bad losses oh my god like four is just a huge number now, if they, had, if they had some major signature wins in there, they don't, though. They really don't, man. I mean, Houston at home, that's a home game they were favored. That's not that, a huge meter-moving win. And then Wichita State on the road, that's a good win, but they're barely in if they're even in at all. And other than that, that's it. Well, so nothing I, else. But, but here's where I think you're off. Like, I think this is where – and we do this every year between you and I, where you get into the emotion of it. And you get caught up in the emotion. Well, look at it like this. Let's uh, let's say let, let's take Vermont, who just moved into the top seventy-five, moved themselves from a quad three game to a quad four game or a quad two game. So now Cincinnati is eight and five in quad one and quad two games, and that's better than pretty much everybody else on the bubble with them, all the way down to Georgetown and Indiana. Stanford has four quad one and two wins. East Tennessee State, four quad one and two wins. Northern Iowa, four. Utah State, four. Richmond, four. Arkansas, four. Mississippi State, six. Cincinnati has eight. So while the quad three losses are are head-scratching and and certainly something that the committee is going to consider, what we have seen is they have valued winning more than they have concerned themselves with losing at least in the past, and by the counting metrics, this is a team that has gone out, and actually when you add uh, Vermont, that's nine quad one and quad two wins with three more quad one and quad two opportunities on the way. So, yes, it's easy to get caught up in the quad three losses, but when you compare them to the rest of the field that's trying to get into the tournament, those nine quad one and two wins are going to carry a ton of weight as well. Yeah, they'll carry weight. I'm not disputing that. And but I, I feel like if you have that many bad, bad losses, that you've got to have something major to offset that. And I just don't see it on their resume. Well, so but, but, I, I understand. I understand they have solid stuff like that. What you just laid out, that's solid. It's but not when like you're comparing. Look, when you're comparing nine to four for most of these schools. But how many That's quad three losses do these schools have? I'm, I just feel like it, it's just like a ledger. It's just like a balance sheet. Uh, assets correct. and liabilities. But my point being, what we've seen from the committee in the past, especially in the past two or three years, 
the losses really don't weigh that heavy when there are wins to offset them. And when you're comparing nine to four, I mean, that's significant. That's major, major difference. Yeah, but four is, it's just, that's a huge number, man. I mean, I've seen teams with one or two. Arizona State had four last year and got in. Okay. And two of theirs were quad four, I believe. Two quad three, two quad four. The wins wins are the heavier weighted number. And if there were a bunch of teams at seven, eight, nine wins, where then you start, then you say, okay, these teams are very similar in their quad one and quad two wins. Now we go to the losses. And what do their losses look like? But nine is substantially different from four when you're going down a lot of these resumes. Okay. Well, I was just comparing quad one versus quad three in my head. And I know that quad two carries weight too. But, I mean, I see your side of it. I just feel like, yeah, I mean, either way, regardless of what they do, if they don't win the the league, if they don't win the conference tournament, you're sweating it out. I mean, and I feel like like last – if they don't lose that game, and then let's say they lose to Houston, but they win the rest of them, then I feel like you're feeling pretty comfortable going into the selection show. Whereas, like, even if they sweep these last four – they're a lock. Look, if they sweep these last four, they are a stone-cold lock. Okay. Now, I don't think they're going to sweep these last four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if they have 13 quad or 12 quad one and quad two wins, this thing's not in question because nobody is going to have the resume that they have in terms of what their wins look like. Right. At least no one that's on the bubble. Okay. But, well, that, hey, but, that makes me feel better. I, I, didn't mean, cons- yeah. I didn't look at it that way. I just, I mean, and it's hard not to because when you think like, I mean, that's a team, you just can't lose that team at home. And if you look at that game, it, they they made like they 68 mistakes in yeah. that game. And if, if they made like 60 mistakes, they, they win. But I, I feel like if you look at, so big picture wise, these last four, five, six games, there's been a couple, three of these games where they shouldn't, they really should not have won the game. And they just somehow they found a way. And I feel like you, there's just so many points left on the board, whether it's free throws, obviously turnovers, um, just things that it's like, ah, oh, you like a fast break, try to throw an alley-oop, hits the rim, just stuff like that. Oh, I'm going to get the ball underneath and I'm 7-1. I'm going to dribble it with three guys around. Like there's two points they should have had. There's two points. There's one point. And, um, you know, so it, like there's just it's we, it's just been a very weird situation with this team because it's like I can't tell how good they are or even if they are good I mean they're good but they're just they they do so many things that you're just like scratching your head like what what just happened there they should have had an easy two points and they didn't get those two points like how many four point swings or five point swings have there been in these last like the Houston game and and the Memphis game both those games you know great comebacks um exciting finishes all that stuff but like it just felt like those games were like they shouldn't even be in that position because they just left like 13 points on the board they should have had between the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. So, I mean, what, what, like, how do you feel when, when you're watching these games and, and that kind of stuff happens? Is it, are you just chalking it up to like it's just basketball? I mean, you can't convert every single opportunity, or are you are you also looking at it like like scratching your head on some of this stuff? Well, I mean, th- th- there's no question they're leaving too many points on the board. Like, that's. On both ends of the floor, you know, the, the 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 pick and roll defense on Wednesday was maddening. I mean, absolutely drive you crazy maddening. Um, 
a perfect example was the alley-oop that hit off the front of the rim in what you're talking about. Like, that is, should have been stone-cold two points on the board for Cincinnati. Wide open, Jaron to Trey. It was Trey, I believe, right? Yes. Jaron to Trey. Put that thing just a, a one inch above where it was. Trey catches it, dunks it. Easy two points. Momentum starts to swing in your direction. Instead, hits off the front of the rim and, and bounces the other way to start a break. Yeah. Like, that stuff. Now, is I, it? I mean, how much does fatigue play a role in these things? And, and is it fair to use fatigue as a reasoning to well, some of these mistakes or some of these missed close shots or, or you know, gaffed fast breaks or, you know, missed free throws, like or just too many minutes for the main guys and it just wears on them or what? I mean, that, Bert, that's the, there, there's a, a fine line between, like, the difference between mental fatigue and physical fatigue. The, the mental fatigue is, you know, free throws. Uh, making a pass that uh, there's been two or three passes where they're, they they just almost aimlessly try to fire a ball like up the floor in transition. And they don't pay attention to the fact that there's somebody standing in between the guy that they're trying to throw it to in them. And it gets taken away. We've seen that, what, three, four times in the past two games? Yes. Um, and then the physical fatigue is, is, for example, the way that they defended the pick and roll. Because that was absolutely dreadful and you could see right away their feet and their communication and their energy level on defense just was abysmal especially early in the first half and then continuing throughout the game um i mean ucf was 19 of 28 on layups justin oh i know i looked 19 of 28 on layups i joked with mo on thursday if that happened under the previous coach his aneurysm would have returned. They had 64, it, 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 yeah, 64 of their 89 points came on free throws and layups and dunks. Yeah, and, and John Brandon, too. That, I mean, you can see it driving him nuts. I got a question. What's your take on the, the he should have played zone or should have tried zone or should have switched something up? Um, I'm curious as to, it, it's very easy in these situations to say, the coach should have done something that they didn't do. Because there's no empirical evidence to say one, whether they were right or wrong to make that decision. So that's what everybody latches onto in these situations. Um, I'm curious your opinion on he should have switched to zone in that second half when they were getting beat off the dribble so easy. Well, if all he has in his bag is the 1-3-1 one, one, or the man-to-man, -man, he had to stay in the man-to-man -man because... Central Florida has two knockdown shooters that you just can't leave open. And that 1-3-1 leaves those corners open quite a bit. So I can understand why he didn't go to that one. And I, I haven't, have you even seen them play any other zone this year? I can't remember a 2-3 or anything. I um, remember, and I can't remember when. I remember seeing a 2-3 for like two trips at okay. one point. But All, very, yeah. very, very rarely. Yeah, I mean. And they I, were I bad feel, when they did it. Yeah, and I feel like. I understand both sides of it. So from from our side or from a fan side, you're just like, dude, just switch to a zone just to kind of slow up their their dribble penetration. And um, and from his side, he was probably like, I'm just trying to get them to to just do what we've been doing and just stay in front of their man. 
the, the only thing I would my, – my whole take on it was like if you – I mean if you want to stay in the man-to-man, fine. But tell your guys, listen, give them a step. Give them a step and a half. Number 13, Brandon Mahan. Is his name Brandon? I can't remember. Mahan. This guy was getting by – he got by Mamadou twice right away. And that should have set off the alarm like, all right, whoever's guarding this guy, just there's no way he can get by you. Just do not crowd him, whatever the case is. I just felt like I would have – if I would, if I was the coach and it was, I could see that they were a step slow. I'd have been like, all right, we'll give them a step, make them shoot it over you. Like I just felt like they didn't even try to make Central Florida shoot threes. I mean, they were five for seventeen. That's a well, terrible percentage. So try to make them shoot another twelve or thirteen. I don't remember them taking a three that wasn't like a shot clock thing in the last ten, 10 minutes of regulation or in overtime. It was all in the paint or at the yeah. foul line. So I, I, is that possible to do? Are you able to say, hey guys? Just give them a step. Just make them shoot it. I don't yes. know. I think where where UCF was really aggressive, and credit them, they were attacking the hedge. So UC was slow getting over the pick, which that's what we've talked about with their feet being slow. Right. Um, and they were immediately coming off the screen and then attacking the hedge, which it makes it look like a switch. But it's not designed to be a switch. It's not designed for the big man to be left stuck on the guard. Because the original defender is supposed to be fighting through the screen and getting back to cut off the drive and then allowing the big man to get back to the roller or the screener. That wasn't happening. And and UCF, I don't know if it was something that, that was, and I'm sure when they watched the Memphis tape, that that was something that they said, you know, we can we can exploit this. But I thought they they executed exceptionally well at they noticed that their feet were slow. They noticed that the reaction time wasn't what it needed to be in getting over or around the screen. And they were going straight downhill on the hedge. Now, part of that is probably not a good enough hedge. If you're allowing that guy to get downhill, like the point of the hedge is to keep them where they're at. Um, that also fatigue, lack of foot speed, lack of, you know, full communication between the guy being screened and the guy hedging. Um, I'm sure watching it on tape has John Brandon pulling his hair out, but you know, that's, I think that's where everybody's clinging on to. Why didn't, why didn't they show at least a little bit of zone to maybe throw him off a little bit? I just think he knows, like, he doesn't have a very good zone team. Because you're not particularly long. Um, especially, you know, uh, the one three one that that they used effectively in one stretch against Memphis, and then when they tried to go back to it, Memphis kind of chewed them up. Yep. Where you've got Jeremiah Davenport out there, who is the energy guy out top, and, and Trey, St- Trey Scott gives you some length on the wing, but Mike Adams-Woods isn't um, – he's long for his size, but he's not a long, you know, one of those guys on the wing that really can can disrupt closing out on shooters uh, from, the, from that wing position on his own. And then you don't have great rim protection at the back of it. You know, Chris Vogt, I think, is at like 1.7 blocks a game, but he's, he's generally doing it – by being understanding how to be seven foot one, not because he's super athletic and closing ground and 
you know, getting a lot of weak side blocks. A lot of his blocks are straight up man on man. Right. So could you, I guess the other question then from that would be, can you change up your pick and roll coverage or did he, I didn't pay enough attention to know. I, I didn't see anything changed on it, but I don't know what you would change to other than the way the hedge was being uh, played. You know, maybe you, the problem there is, you know, like it, the, the alternative is to blitz it. Or sag way back. Yeah. And just say, hey, I mean, here, here's a shot, buddy. See if you can make it. I don't know, because Tony Johnson Jr. and Mahan, I mean, those guys are not knockdown shooters, and um, they were able to get to you know get into the paint the whole game. Yeah, and, I mean, I and, guess not, that's and not only did they, ability, but yeah, they they finished, they got fouled, or else but, it left an offensive rebound open for somebody else. So, but but here's the thing I would say about sagging way back. Now you're just giving them a free run to the rim because they weren't able to fight over the screen, so your guard's not going to give any resistance. Now you're just letting him get downhill and get into Vote's body. Yeah, or that's get true. into whoever's playing the big, you know, the big man position's body. Yeah, so, and they, and they couldn't really, they can't really switch it. They don't have the type of personnel no, that, to do that. Switching is not an option. So really, it was just like, hey, you guys need to sack up and move your feet. Yeah, and and you know the the, the help just wasn't really there either, and because that team's able to spread UC out with those two with with Milan and uh, Green that can shoot the three. So it. It was just kind of like a big, and then also you had to respect their bigs' ability to shoot the ball too. But yeah, it just—it was just a shame because I mean, you know. And, but but even all that being said, if you don't have twenty-two turnovers, right? It's just—it's just insane how many turnovers and a lot. And you know, obviously, you mentioned some of the the questionable passes, and there's just some though where it's like Jaron's just dribbling it, and then he just doesn't have the ball, and then they run down for a layup. That happened against East Carolina. Javen did it too. That's some major fatigue. Like, it just – what happened? I was dribbling, and now I don't have it. And then the other part about it, of course, is all the charges. And that's also fatigue because they can't stop when they see a guy standing right in front of them and shoot a seven-footer. So, yeah, just – I mean, they had to do a million things to lose that game, and they did them all, and they lost. Yes. All right, let's, let's look forward. Okay. So, basically, Wichita State becomes a must-win at home. No doubt. Because I, if we're being, if, let's be honest with each other. I think everybody is uh, generally feeling the same thing. Going to Houston and winning is not likely. You are not sneaking up on the Cougars the way that you did to come back from down 15 at Fifth Third Arena. So you're climbing an uphill battle there. You got Wichita State at home. You got South Florida on the road. That's going to be another. Nah. Yeah, I know you're 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 really excited about that game. God, oh, this league bothers me, and mostly East Carolina and South Florida. And then Temple at home on Senior Day to close out this this season. Um, you've got to get this Wichita State game Sunday at, at one o'clock. No questions asked. Right. And you're dealing with the Wichita State team that is on the bubble. That's looking, their chance. Looking for revenge after you beat them at their place. And this is their their quote-unquote opportunity for a signature win, a Tier 1 win on the road to put on their NCAA tournament resume to push them closer to end. Yeah, because they've already got swept by Houston. 
Right. They don't want to get swept by Cincinnati too, and they still right. have to go. They still have to go to Memphis. So that's this is gigantic. Yeah. for Wichita State and both just teams, as gigantic really. as it is both for teams. Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, yeah, it's going to be mon- a monster this is, game. This is in a lot of ways. This game is bigger than the game that UC won at Wichita State two years ago to clinch the regular season title. Yeah, because they were because in the, easy. The loser of the, well, they were a two seed. Yeah, exactly. The loser of this game is going to have a real difficult time getting in without winning the AAC tournament. So this is like, I've got aces, you've got kings, we're both all in, and all the chips are on the table. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, they, and, and Wichita State's been figuring some things out the last two or three games. I didn't you know, think they looked good last night, though. Oh, I didn't see it. I but couldn't watch basketball. That. I couldn't watch basketball yesterday after Wednesday. So we I were watching out. in the emergency room. Oh, okay. There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot else to do as we were waiting for test results to come back. And yeah. my lovely wife, I didn't even ask Berg. I didn't even ask. She's scrolling through the TV and she says, Hey, don't they play Wichita State on Sunday? Do you need to watch this? <laughs> That's awesome. And I was like, Well, you're in the emergency room, so you can watch whatever you want to watch. But if you want to leave it on, I will watch it. Yes. <laughs> uh, See, that's they, the, that's something that our wives have in common. Because I think Lauren would do the same thing. Credit to her. Yeah. But keep keep going. So I didn't think they they won. I think sixty to fifty against South Florida at home. So is that Wichita? Um, yeah, but South South Florida is one of those teams that just they make yeah, you. Yeah, I just just in general yeah. watching them though, I didn't think. I thought the past couple games they started to look a lot more crisp on offense. Um, and I thought it was a little bit of a slog for him last night. Now, South Florida's tough defensively, of course. Um, but I, I didn't – I thought they were playing better the, the two or three games before that. Since since Houston beat them up and took their lunch money, I thought they had been really good. And then I thought last night was maybe a little bit of a step back. But Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not that great of a team, let's no. be honest. I mean, they, they don't have, like – stud offensive players or anything like that they have guys that are solid they have a they have good young point guard um they have they have some wing players that can that can get going you know if stevenson gets going and obviously dennis got going against uc and he usually can't shoot threes um etienne i mean they have some guys that can make some shots underneath they really only have one guy um so i mean they're just their their way to win on sunday is the same formula for some of these other teams is just Find a way to make UC turn the ball over a lot, and because um, they they're one of the best defenses in the country by the numbers, Wichita State. So, I'm curious. Yeah. Do you find it interesting that everybody is doing to UC what UC has done to this league for six years? <laughs> Not surprised. And you and if you, you can look in some of the DNA of some of these other teams, and it's just like Mac they were Cronin. designed to beat. Well, they were designed yeah. to beat Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean. Look! Look at look at how obsessed Kelvin Sampson is with offensive rebounding, and I mean Brian Gregory, he he's got some stuff down there, South Florida, and yeah, some of these teams, it's like we got we got to defend. And, it's just it's so yeah. hilarious that like all of a sudden, the way to beat Cincinnati is by being who Cincinnati used to be: slow the game down, yeah. grind out possessions on offense. You know, it. it the irony yeah. is not lost on me in no. that now the book on beating Cincinnati is by being Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Because for, for, for six, seven years, the book was, we got to speed these guys up because we cannot get into a rock fight with them. Right. And now it's like, we got to slow these guys down. It's just, a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting dynamic of the, the switch that I, you yeah. know, I, I don't think really people, John has talked about it a lot about, you know, especially what Memphis came in and did it. Memphis on the road was like top 10 in the country in tempo. Yeah. And they ran every play inside eight seconds. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It's just funny that that's because, and say what you will about the Mick era, whatever, but they were the most consistently good team every year. Yes, SMU had a run. Yes, Houston is on a run. Yes, you know, it was up for grabs the first couple of years where it bounced back and forth between teams. But the team that was always in second or third or right there at the top was always Cincinnati. And that, in a brand new league, that created the DNA of the league. Yeah, what, teams that couldn't shoot but could play awesome defense? Because well, if, if you look at, if you look at like, go on Ken Palm and you can look at all the breakdowns of the conferences, and it's like, the American is always like 30th in offensive efficiency and then like yeah. third in defense. Well, you know what that is, Berg? Yeah. It's being the seventh best conference. Right. You don't get the highly skilled guys, but you can get some athletes. You're getting the long, athletic, physical, you know, that that's the that's the caliber of player that is right there for you. Now it will be interesting if that starts to shift. If Cincinnati continues to be at the top of the league and John Brandon is the coach of Cincinnati. Will there be a shift towards offense in recruiting in this league? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing because, uh, you know, with uh, also, like with Ron Hunter at Tulane, I mean, you're starting to get some guys in there who might want to be a little more offense-heavy, skill-heavy. But, yeah, it usually is depending on who is dominating the league and then it's a copycat situation. Well, and it's interesting because Kelvin Sampson is a bit of both. Like, they run those NBA sets. It's about space. It's about pacing. It's about getting open looks. But then they're also going to beat the hell out of you and be elite on the glass and be long and physical and athletic. Yeah. So he's kind of a hybrid of the two um, with where it's he's gotten. Yeah, it's working, it's working great. Yeah. And they've got they've got really good players. They do, and they're mostly guards. This Sasser kid. Yeah, man, man. There's some guards in this league, some young guys that are going to be really good. Well, uh, Caleb Mills is going to be the player of the year in this league at some point. I know how you feel about him. And now you've got, if you've got Sasser to go with them, and then they've got two top 75, top 100 level four-star kids at guard coming in behind them. So Sasser, uh, Sasser jumping up has given me some heartburn because now that couples him with Mills as freshman for Houston, and that's no bueno, sir. No. No, no not at all. Bueno. No, and... I mean, UConn's leaving the league, but they have a couple of good guys. And then I, I think the Sherfield kid's going to be pretty good uh, for Wichita State. I, I mean, evidently, Tony Johnson Jr., you have to worry about him, according to what happened the other night. Well, two points a game up until – I know. Yeah. But, yeah. It, it, but, yeah, I know. It, Houston's scary. And, and they also – I mean, he is like – he, he is just a dictator down there. Like, you were going to offensive rebound or you were not going to play. And um, 
And the first time UC played them, the refs called it so that there was a lot of fouls on Houston. So you think that's going to be the, the, the same situation in, in down, place, down in the, the Fertitta Center? No. Nah. In their place with basically the ability to clinch the conference? Yeah, so, you're, you're so, right. so thinking of that game, how in the hell can UC win that game? Give me, give me a roadmap to UC winning that game. <laughs> Besides shooting 15 for 22 from three. <laughs> so I just plugged the roadmap into MapQuest, and it, <laughs> it took me to a field in the middle of, like, Nebraska. I have no idea how they won that game. I have no idea. I have no idea how they won the first game. No. No idea. There, there's like six wins this year where you're like, I, I still don't know. I mean, the Memphis game for there, sure. That, there, that, that's something I want to talk about. Okay. We talk about what this team's got to do and, and, and this win and that win and do this and do that. What I want to say is this is just the culmination of what they did to themselves by the second game of league play. And I made this analogy on uh, on with Lance McAllister last night. So by the second game in league play, when they lost to Tulane, this team has been on the high wire. Now, they've been fortunate because they've had a little bit of a net, not like a big net, but like a tiny net that like, you know, in the old movies where the firemen were walking with that thing in case somebody fell and they had to like catch them. Yep. That's what they had. Not the full net that stretches out far and wide and you just kind of fall into it well Wednesday night they set that damn net on fire there's no one now, down there there's no one down there now now it's just the bottom of a you know an endless canyon that's below them and, and, and that's that's what happens when you do to yourself what they did to themselves by losing Bowling Green and, and Colgate and Tulane win even two of those games and this team's in the tournament Oh, God. And don't even go back and look at those box scores, especially the Bowling Green oh. game, because it's been so long ago. But you go back and look, and you see 31 for 55 from the foul line, and you will puke, more than likely, or at least feel like you want to puke. Because yeah. I, I actually forgot about that. And I went. I just kind of looked back. I was like, what, what happened again? Oh, my God, that happened. Colgate just gave up basket after basket down the stretch and they had a, a ton of turnovers of course and then you know Tulane they had a lead I mean they could I mean could have won all they three should have won, won all three of those games they should all, have won all, all three four of those all four of the quad threes they you know but they but they didn't and yeah. um and I think that's like that's something to be adjusted to in this new regime and I'm not saying it's going to continue down the road but it's like just not used to that just the 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 variance just wasn't there in the past that these teams, like, you you know, you, like, you would see what they were doing in the first half, and you're like, all right, here's what we're going to do to stop it. And by the end of the game, we're going to stop it enough, and we're going to win. And that just didn't happen in some of those games. And they could not stop Tulane. Just couldn't. And they could not stop UCF the other night, no matter what. So that's just part of it. It is. And it's frustrating. I mean, have you ever seen a, a – they are seven and zero in quad two, five and four in quad three. It's weird. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, but then this, you go this back whole and watch season. it. It does. This season makes yeah. no sense. You're right. Well, I mean, think about it. So, all right, they lose the Bowling Green, but the next day, Jaron doesn't play, and Valpo has a four foot shot to win it, and it rims out in regulation. Yeah. They win it over. I mean, 
you know, they could have easily lost that too. And then we're not even having this conversation. They're completely out. And um, the game before Illinois state, you know, they got a 10 point lead or, I mean, they're down by 10. Yeah. They're down by 10 or no. Javen got hurt that game. Yeah. Jaron still wasn't Jaron. Right. Here's the thing. And I I do want to say this too. I see people talking about expectations and preseason and, what this team should have been, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Jaron Cumberland's been Jaron Cumberland for like two and a half weeks. True. So take what you thought about what this team should have been in the preseason and throw it out the damn window. Because what you thought in the preseason was Jaron Cumberland was going to be Jaron Cumberland for a full season. We've gotten Jaron Cumberland for about two and a half weeks, and that ended at Wichita State. Yeah, he he left it all on that court. Because ever since... What's you mentioned his percentages, but you just look at him. I mean, he, he's just, some of these some of these mistakes he's making, or you just can't explain them. And then his his shot is off, and yeah, exactly. So from from that, the fact that they're even in the position to possibly have a chance to get in is no short of miraculous. And it says a lot to me about Trey. I mean, let, let's be honest. Yeah, we haven't even One, talked about. It. Let let's. The one person that is healthy right now, and I, I think Micah's probably pretty close to healthy. I know Jaron's dealing with multiple injuries. I know of four things that are bothering him. Mm. All lower body, all, you know, are going to are gonna keep him from having that. They go back to that Wichita State game, and we talked about it after the game. Go back and look at the pop that he had coming off screens, going downhill, getting to the rim. That's gone, and now there's eight people waiting on him at the rim. There's five defenders and three officials all waiting for him to get to the rim. (laughs) So, Trey Scott is the one guy that's been healthy. And look at what he's done. What he's done, Berg, I can't even fathom. I mean, he's having a stretch... That is as good as anyone that has played in this program in 30 years. And that includes the names Kenyon Martin and Danny Fortson. You might as well say in 40 years because they were terrible in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Danny Fortson never had a 20-20 game. Kenyon had one. Trey has one. Two 25-point games, a 19-rebound game, a 21-rebound game. His, His bad game was what, like 14 and 12? Yep. That's his bad game. That's a Gary Clark game. His bad game has been Gary Clark. Yeah, and did you see he actually responded to that tweet where somebody said he's playing like Gary Clark, and he said, nah, I'm playing like Trey. It's true because Gary Clark never did this. As much as you know how I feel about him, he was never able to do this. How remarkable is it to you that this is happening for him? Yeah, because I can remember sitting next to you and um, probably Hep at practice maybe like three years ago, and we were talking about, like, what what are we going to do when Gary's gone? And um, I remember Hep kind of being like, I think Trey will be okay. And I remember thinking, like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll take okay, but that's about as much as we can expect. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near what Gary was, and he's he's doing what Gary did plus more. That's shocking. Right? Yeah. Very unexpected. Very. Is it the most like 
the most unexpected thing we've experienced in how long? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that the other day, and I could not come up with another example. I mean, Justin, Justin Jackson, Justin yeah. Jackson, because he was he was he gave them nothing the first three years other than energy and some block shots here and there, but too many fouls and everything. All of a sudden, he was like putting up double doubles with six blocks and dominate. He dominated that league out of pretty much out of nowhere. No, I'll go. I know what I know who it is. I know the answer. Eric Hicks, first year in the big, the first year in the Big East. Where Eric Hicks was first team all Big East as a six five center. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where it goes, right? Yeah, pretty much. Because I think I think Trey is has far surpassed anything Justin Jackson did as a senior. I don't know about far surpassed, but because it's Justin only been... never went. Justin never had a stretch like this where he's ripping off 15, 20 rebounds a game. It's true. As far as, to, in terms in of position, that, yeah. He's in position to be the first player to average double-digit rebounds for Cincinnati since Jelly Jones. Kenyon didn't do it. Danny yeah. didn't do it. Gary didn't do it. Yancey didn't do it. Trey you, Scott's about to do it for a season. And do you remember what, before the season even started, when you know, John Brandon, they were talking about what he and Trey Scott had talked about before the year, and he said, you should, be the be- the, you should lead the league in rebounding this year. And Trey was like, all right, I got you. And he's doing it. Well, I think Precious is a little bit ahead of him right oh, now. Oh, is he? Okay. But Precious is also 6'10 with arms that go on forever and yeah. physical gifts that, that we could never even imagine having. Trey's doing it on energy. He's doing it on effort. Um, and he did it to Precious. Now he's four years older than him, but Precious yeah. is a potential lottery pick, and he put up a huge game on him. And, and so and he's he's defending for the most part. He's been defending at a very high level. Uh, he made the the leading scorer in the country look bad in two consecutive games. Jaden Gardner did not look like Jaden Gardner against Trey Scott in either of those games. Yeah. So it's it's unbelievable what Trey has done. Yeah, because all the way back since Coach Chad, when you you knew when he was going to he was coming here, and um, I mean there were times early in his career where you're like. I don't know what's what is this guy? We don't know what he is, but and now he's banging threes. He's attacking off the bounce. Yeah, he's a monster on the glass. Like, yeah, it's just a shame that the other night he, you know, he had that that look. He just couldn't. His legs wouldn't work, and he couldn't dunk that ball because they probably win the game if he, if he can burn. Yeah, stuff. but the, but just, yeah, it, it it's awesome, and you know the the old uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy stuff. I mean, but it's true. I mean. I still, he, he, you can. It's fair to say that, and it's fun to say that because you, you know him. We all know him, and, and what you see is what you get when you see him on camera. That's just how he is. I, I still, it blows me away that for four years we thought, man, it is going to be a long time before this program has a human like Gary Scott come through. Gary Scott. Gary Clark. You know what I mean. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a long time before a human like Gary Clark comes back through the University of Cincinnati. And it was just the guy that was playing behind him for three years. Yeah, and something else, too, and no one has, no one has mentioned this, probably, is that his, his relationship with, with um, Chuck Mayshock over yeah. the years, I wonder if maybe there's just some, some of that kind of lighting a little extra fire under him these last, uh, this last like month or two. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, man. Are they gonna what? These this two game stretch, and and we'll we'll even take it to three if you want, because I know you're you're very caught up on this South Florida game. Well, it's two days. I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal. And no one has swept a two game road trip other than once, and it was against two bad teams. Granted, one of those teams UC lost to, but yeah. So <laughs> Wichita State at home, Houston on the road. Two days later, you come back at USF. Are we still talking about the NCAA tournament when we get to the end of the USF game? Uh, I think we'll still be talking about it, but I think their chances will have diminished. That would be my that'd be my prediction. So uh, one and two, two and one, zero oh and three. Where are you at? Two and one. I'm with you. I think you. I think UCF resets the resiliency on this team. I think it was a wake up call that it, it had been looming, and then you beat Wichita State. You get that week off that that long awaited, long coveted little bit of rest that this team needs to to refresh a little bit. I just I, I have such a hard time figuring out how they win at Houston. Yeah, and you know, here's something. So. After the UCF game, of course, as we are as fans, I know you're media, you're a radio guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know how devastating that is. It's a total. It's just a just a bummer. I mean, you're pretty much thinking like, that's it. They're not. They're just not going to get in at large now. Now they got to win the conference tournament. But I, I just start looking back at the season. And I was like, how many times have we said that? They like they were left for dead after they lose the Colgate. Right. It was like, well. Especially gonna, Tulane, Tulane yeah. for sure. But but Colgate, I mean that, that I remember the feeling after that game was like, wow, they already lost to Bowling Green, now they lost to Colgate at home. That you know they got nothing else to match those. Then they come back and they crush Tennessee and, and UConn, and you're like, okay. And then comes your Tulane game, and you're like, they're done. You know, then all of a sudden they they win a few games, and then they lose to Memphis, and they look horrible for most of that game. And you're just like, they're just not good enough. They, these teams are too athletic. They, like they just, Memphis is a bad matchup. And then all of a sudden, like, no, they're not dead. Here comes this somehow stretch of stuff to get to this UCF game. And now it's like, nah, now they're dead again. So it's like the fourth time this year where we're like, either they're not good enough or they're dead. And not only that, how about five different games we've thought they were dead? Yeah. You know, the old yeah. this game's over. So like, there's been like, there's been like nine moments this year where I was like, they're dead. And so I guess my what I'm trying to say is like based on what's happened so far this season, like they're probably not dead. And you know who I, you know a big reason why? Trayvon Scott. Did, did, did you like my reference in the in the bites this week of the undertaker popping up from the coffin? Yeah. I mean, that was a that's, strong that's what they bites, keep doing. Yeah. That was that's a strong what they keep bites. doing. I know. That, it, 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 yeah, it's like this is this is by far there, there's never been a season like this. I don't care. I can't I I mean 30 plus years of following them. I just can't remember one like this. And um the the highs and the lows of it. And speaking uh, speaking of dead, is your lawn dead? <laughs> Mine? No. No, just in general, the people listening, is your lawn dead? Cuz if your lawn de- is dead, we've got an answer for you, right, Bert? Take it away. Leah's Landscaping. That's the company. This is year three. 
And we do everything from mulch to retaining walls. So anything out there that needs to be done, we can get it done for you. And we just got a website put up. It is leahslandscaping.com, L-I-A-S. Made that for my daughter. Bearcat fans get treated with the, the, the best possible treatment that you could ever imagine. Xavier fans get charged double. <laughs> hey, are, we I, offer, are we offering a discount if you mention Bearcat Journal? I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think what, what you'll get preferred pricing. All right. and, and what I mean is I won't, yeah. We'll, what it we'll means like, is it depends press, on the, the job and you're not yeah. committing to anything until you see how dead their yard is. <laughs> yeah, or, or whatever the situation is. But I will say that, that if anybody listened to my little, I, I did a little uh, one-man show when I was driving down to Louisville about a month ago as so I was looking for a dump truck, found it. Listen to this, Chad. Last year before the season, I found a 2000 red F-250. It was in great shape. Got it. Made it all the way through the year. Needed a dump truck. And lo and behold, a 2000 red Ford F-350 with a dump head. <laughs> like, meant to be. So Black trim? Yeah, got some black on there. Nice. So we're ready to roll. We, we, got, we got two crews going this year, and uh, yeah, whatever you need. I'd love to come talk some Bearcats with you. And so if you want to get a hold, just go to the website or you can message me on, uh, on the, the on Bearcat Journal or on Twitter, however you want to do it. And I'd be more than happy to come take a look. So what happens if you send the second crew out and they want to talk Bearcats? Will you, will you come on demand to, to hang out? Well, I mean, at least at the, <laughs> the, initial, the initial walkthrough will be me. Okay. okay. So, you'll get, so you'll get me there. For you know, at least an hour if you need it. And then, is there a premium price to have your crew do the yard? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I yeah, you, you know you got to pay more to get me because because I, I know you're gonna want to you're gonna take me away from the job for two hours and that's gonna slow <laughs> us down. <laughs> Talking about Brandon versus Mick and all kinds of stuff. Leah'slandscaping.com. <laughs> that's where you find it. Have Justin Berg come fix your dead yard. Mine looks <laughs> terrible right now. But it's, well, I mean, I, it's supposed to. It's February, right? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it, a lot of the stuff is if you have, if you want to redo your plants or, but even it's just basic stuff, mulching, weeding, all that stuff. We do it all. Will you dig up a groundhog and kill him for me? <laughs> I've already got one in my front yard that is just wreaking havoc, and it's freaking November or, or February. Dig it up, and I mean, you'd be, be tough to dig it up and find it. And one, you know, it's hard yeah. to pinpoint those things. I don't know. I think no, you I just have to... exact, There's one spot. I know exactly where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you do. He's got a tunnel system in the yard already. Here's what you do is you take a pitchfork uh-huh. and you just start jamming it in there. And if you pull it up and there's a groundhog through some of the prongs, then you got then, it. Then you got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's handling rodent uh, management by Justin Berg <laughs> in Leah's Landscaping. <laughs> we'll give you a tip at the end of every show on how to do something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Sorry for the a little of the static. We got a, a weird Skype connection today, and I don't know what's causing it. But Yeah, we apologize. We apologize. Such is life. Thanks for listening. And uh, get your heart medication ready. Sure. Because we got four games left. I'll have something next week. I'm not sure what exactly uh, on the bye week. Um, But I'll come up with something. I'll come up with a special episode of the podcast next week. And then uh, we'll go from there. Bird, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you.
Appreciate I you having me on, radio I man. I promised I would. I promised I would get you out by four. It is three fifty nine. I want that noted. You did it. My wife All will right. be happy because she needs to go to sleep. She's very right. pregnant. There you go. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. Thanks for tuning in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.